Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm here with my friend, Ashley Garrity. Ashley, the last time we, we had a conversation, we were actually in a restaurant. We had this beautiful ambiance of plates and, and silverware clanging in the background and people coming up asking us if we wanted more to drink. It's a little bit different this time. Well, yeah, just a little bit quieter, I guess you could say. <laughs> less, less wine for first thing in the morning for me here, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, one of these days, maybe we'll have to go do like an episode three or four where we go back to the restaurant. But it's so great to have Ashley here. Ashley was on our episode number two, actually, of the Boca podcast. When we first got started, she was gracious enough to be interviewed at that time. And I'm excited to have her back. And we're going to be talking about workflow and business uh, here a little bit later on in the conversation. But before we get into any and everything, because I think our conversation is going to be a little bit more free-flowing. It reminds me, actually, of, of a talk show called uh, it's, it's Late Night with Craig Ferguson. It's no longer on. But he did this, this thing that became, they became known for, which was you know, the, the guest comes in, the celebrity, the actor, whatever. It comes in, sits down in the chair, and he's, he's got the cards, the talking points in front of him, just like so many other nighttime shows do. And he would literally pick up the card, and he'd rip it up and make this dramatic... Um, presentation of throwing <laughs> the the pieces uh, in back of him, so he wasn't actually going to pay attention to the cards. That might end up being where our, our conversation goes, uh, which I love. But we usually start our podcasts off with uh, what I call the aha moment, and I'm curious if you'd share with our listeners a turning point for your business. Maybe it was a an overwhelming or negative experience. Maybe it was something just just really exciting that you realized that made a. a significant difference in the direction of your business. What, what was that aha moment for you? So I, I was thinking about this because I, I listened to enough of the podcast that I knew this was coming. Um, and I have to say the aha moment um, was definitely when my husband's residency put him on the other side of the country from me. And I had to start to evaluate options in my business yeah. that were first off, not possibilities before, because I never had worried about them, but also challenges that I would have to face um, and just dealing with the ambiguity of what was coming next in my, and I'm still dealing with the ambiguity of like, I don't know where I'm going to live in eight months um, and trying to build a business around that. But it's it's taught me a couple of key lessons. I, I am a huge plan of long-term planning, but it, is, it has to be sort of evolutionary. Um, you can have a, a vision to help you get to someplace three or five years down the road. But for me, I've learned that when I get there, it's not anything like what I thought it was going to look like. And I just need to be willing to adapt. Um, so building for the long term and being ready for what happens when the long term changes. Ah, I think that so many flexibility, people build, right? Yeah, people build plans. And I, I've always been a planner. I was that person who at 17 years old was like, you know, married by this time, kids by this time, buy a house by this time. And that all just got thrown out the door. I got married way earlier than I planned. I still have no kids. I, I've moved so many times. I don't know what's what. Um, but in business, it's the same thing. Like I always think it's important to write that plan and, and be strategic and think long term and then know that three months after you write the plan, you might be ripping it up and starting over again. And that is okay. It's healthy. And it's actually something that I think has been better for my business than trying to stick to the plan I wrote in the first place. 
How do you balance that? Because I've struggled with this this idea myself. Because I'm I'm also a, a planning type. I at least have an I like to have an idea of, of a direction when it comes to business in particular, as well as my personal life, I guess. And and you know this notion that that we don't plan at all seems like a, just a bad way to go personally. Um, so I like the idea. For me, that balance is having kind of an overarching something that I've talked about in the, the podcast before, a big picture view, kind of this big idea, a set of very simple yet big and, and kind of long-term goals that I'm reaching toward. And and then maybe combining that with kind of being in the moment, going with the flow. What What is that, uh, that quote, be like water? Um, I think Jackie <laughs> Chan said once, but being willing to be flexible in the moment. Do you think that's the best combination of having the big idea that you're reaching toward, but be flexible in the moment? Or how does that actually worked out for you thus far? So f- for me, I... It is kind of like that big picture plan. And part of it is just throwing spaghetti at a wall. Like when I'm planning, when I'm thinking about what I want to see next, I'm, I'm trying to get better about envisioning my life first and then building my business from that perspective. Sure. Um, and that's something that's really been big for me this year is just exploring myself, exploring where I want to be, what I want my life to look yeah. like, yeah. and then building the business to fit that as opposed to the other way around. Um but just sort of thinking about values and like what really matters to me and my life and trying to build not end results, but goal points along the way that sync with that. Yep. Um, knowing that whenever you make a plan, life will find some way around your plan. (laughs) And, and, you know, I've thrown my hands up in the air and thought, what now so many times that when those things happen, I can now laugh about it. And I think a healthy sense of humor and an ability to laugh at the frustrations are really the most important things in dealing with long-term plans. That's that, that's really, really good. And I love that you pointed out values. And this is something I literally just spoke about at a conference was not only the big picture view, but what actually makes up that big picture view. And the first thing that I that I talked about in that was your values. Because at the end of the day, yeah, things, you know, life might throw a curveball here and there, and it's going to change maybe the immediate plans. But that in no way affects your your values, which are these are the big ideas, kind of the overriding ideas that you want to live up to in your life. These are the things that truly make you happy and, and ideally also benefit others. And those don't have to change just because, you know, something suddenly uh, was thrown your way that you weren't expecting. It doesn't change your values. And so the idea that you have really clear values and then create a business model that supports those values doesn't mean you're trying to micromanage the process. You just have big ideas that you're reaching toward. And I think that does enable then the, the room to be flexible, to go with the flow if something happens to change. You know, I mean, it, it could literally be a different business. One business doesn't work out, but you start up another business that ultimately still reflects those values and enables you to reach to- toward those goals. So um, I, I think this is a great balance that you're describing and, and a, a wonderful way to start off the conversation too. Good, good reminder for me, good reminder for all of us listening in. Um, really, really good stuff. Now, I, as we mentioned earlier, you were on episode two of the Boca podcast. And so I'm going to certainly encourage our listeners to go back to that. It's still one of my favorite podcast episodes just because of the ambiance <laughs> that we were talking about. It was so great to have that in the background. Things were very simple in those days. I literally had a handheld recorder as I was eating, then also reaching the handheld recorder across the table to let you speak <laughs> yeah. into it after I asked the question. Um, so, But you guys go back and listen to episode number two, and Ashley talks about her background personally and, and with her business. I'd love for you to maybe just kind of throw in an additional personal bit about yourself, something that people don't know about you and that maybe we didn't talk about in that first podcast episode. 
Sure. So one thing that we talked about a lot in that first podcast episode, in fact, it was the impetus for our interview, um, was our sort of non-traditional marriage and how I've built my business to allow me to travel back and forth yes. and the pros and cons of living on the other side of the country from my husband. Um, and one of those things I said was it allows us the freedom to really kind of be ourselves yep. and explore things that matter to us independently while having the others support emotionally. And the, the one thing I've really started to re-explore this past year is my love, uh, my deep love of opera. <laughs> and it's starting to pop out in my Instagram feed and things like that. But I love opera. I, I play it. It soothes me in the background. I have favorite arias. I subscribe to Met On Demand. Really? And I'm just working my way through the Met's catalog okay. of of opera. It's it's like a really bizarre thing that I don't think many 30-year-olds are sitting out there like, which opera will I listen to tonight <laughs> while I edit? Um, Probably I, not. I find yeah. it's fantastic. And because most of it is in a different language, I can appreciate the beauty of it. Um, but I, it's the opposite of having to like actively listen to content. Yes. Um, I can have it in the background and it really just kind of soothes me and keeps me going. That's okay. That's, but that's fascinating though. So what, <laughs> did, do you have any background in classical music that, that led uh, to this or? So I, I've always pl I played piano since I was eight. And one of the things I've actually started doing again this year in my free time is I'm terrible compared to where I once was. It's embarrassing to me to have let myself go off practice so long, but just playing at the piano for myself to relax in the evening. And, and it's so absolutely relaxing. I play piano myself, um, and and it's it's lovely to just sit down and and just play quietly. It, it's so meditative, even. Yeah, I don't think I play quietly. So my oh really? Okay, I, like, live <laughs> we're like, a different style then. Like, <laughs> I I worship Ben Folds, and Tori yeah. Amos has been a lifelong favorite of mine. Fan okay. Apple. If there's music that's driven by piano in the background and has a bit of a, a lyrical edge to it, it's probably somewhere on my Spotify. Um, <laughs> But so, yeah, I studied, I, I actually took conducting in college when I first started. I was a music minor. Cool. Um, I got I got to conduct the orchestra my freshman year of college um, as part of my conducting class. I won like a conducting competition. And then in exploring real life and what it looks like, I, I did kind of walk away from music as a professional goal. I was good and I enjoyed it and I was passionate, but I was not excellent on the level you'd have to be to be professional in that field. But I never really lost my my adoration. Um, for it. I love the sort of the structure and the formality and the, the severe, you know, technique that goes into the athleticism of opera. So I'm not an opera singer, never have been, but I just ap appreciate it so purely. But do you do you at least try your hand at it every once in a while? Like, are you, are you inclined to kind of follow along and sing some of the ones that you know? Do I like obnoxiously wail along terribly <laughs> so that my dog's ears are, you know, crooked and looking at me with the side tilted head? Yes. I'm going to take um, that as a yes. <laughs> <laughs> one of the, the benefits of living on the other side of my of the country from my husband is that he does not, <laughs> does not love the opera at all. So it's okay. really given me this like freedom to, you know, I'll come out here and he'll have like J. Cole radio playing on Pandora. And yep. he is a huge fan of like late 80s, early 90s, like rap, the evolution of rap music. And I've learned to appreciate that too. But he'll have his headphones on listening to that and I will have you know, Bellini going on in the background. So <laughs> that's beautiful. But you know, I, I love that. And I don't want to kind of repeat our conversation from episode two, but I was, I was so excited to hear about this dynamic that you guys have in your relationship in that interview as well, because um, I've, I've personally learned being in the dating world the last number of years and, and doing so really 99% of it long distance. I, I've come to understand and appreciate more the significance of independence and the role that that plays 
in a romantic relationship, particularly a long-term relationship. And um, so I, I have a lot of respect for the independence that, that you guys have not only explored, but ultimately lived out. And yet you still have this this really cool relationship together. Um, I think it's a beautiful example for, for listen, listeners on, on multiple levels. But you, you spoke to something that um, was kind of a side note, but you and I were chatting about this before I hit the record button. And that was content. You, you said you listened to opera because it, it's... Um, in a different language, and so it's not distracting from whatever you're doing at the moment. I, I'm amazed at the number of photographers that that talk about how you know they've got Netflix playing in the background while they're editing, or I've I've got this movie playing while I'm doing this thing. I, I'm not sure how they're able to, to really get very much done, um, or you know why they're actually maybe they are working sixty or eighty hours a week just because they're not putting in focused work, um, but I, I think it's really important to differentiate and and kind of. Um, I guess segment our time when it comes to consuming content, um, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself here too. But consuming <laughs> content and then working and and doing so very proactively. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you approach that. Some of the things that you alluded to before um, we started this conversation. Sure. So um, I actually have actually segmented some of my work as far as things that I can do. Well, there is other things going on and things that I can't do. Um, so I can you know, curate images for a blog post while there's a podcast going on in the background or while Netflix is playing, but I can't write a blog while there are other words going in my ear. Right. Or so, so there are, there are some aspects of my business that I can accomplish while Netflix is playing. Although I have to say, if I'm working with the TV on in the background or something going on in the background, it's usually a rewatch. So I don't watch fresh content or consume fresh content as like a peripheral thing. I just have it there in the background mostly because I live alone. So I have noise going on in the background. And if I need to look up from the computer, I don't have to invest in the story because I already know what's going on. Sure. That makes sense. So that's, that's kind of how I roll with as far as, you know, noise in the background, but podcasts and things like that, if I want to listen and I want to learn and I want to actively consume content, I have to do it in a way that I'm invested in. So I, I don't have podcasts going on in the background all the time because I feel like I would never actually get value out of them. And it would derail me from working. So I use the, I use car time for podcasts or I use like walking the dog's time for podcasts because those are times when I can focus on the words because I'm doing something that is not physically requiring me, my attention. Um, but I, I don't want to be a huge consumer of content. I want to seek out information on content that applies to a, a particular moment I am at in my business or a topic I'm looking to learn more about. But when I find myself just, you know, consuming content on repeat, I find myself more likely to regurgitate content than to think independently. That's okay. So there are different things that I want to touch on here. First of all, just a simple notion of focus when it comes to actually consuming the content, I think is really important. Um, I would even add to that the and and you you've you're kind of doing this naturally, limiting the the amount. You're doing it for the sake of making sure that you're not just regurgitating content, but to be more creative with that, which is a conversation in of itself, and we'll certainly go there. But uh, I think for me personally, if I consume so much content, whether it's you know news, industry news, or tech news, um, combined with books that I'm you know audio books that maybe I'm listening to, or a book that I'm reading on top of that, and then social media. And who knows what else? Podcasts certainly, um, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, but it's I just get lost in it, and and it, you have so much information in your head that just kind of jumbled around. And then when you actually go to have a conversation, or at least for me anyway, when I go to have a conversation, um, I want to be able to to 
be an interesting conversationalist. Information can be helpful in that regard, but when you've got so much just jumbling around in there, uh, it can make it, it can make it difficult. So I, I think whether we're we're using the the content that we are consuming for the sake of our business or our personal life, I think having a more focused effort is really really important. To your point. Um, Maybe limiting some of the content to the things that absolutely not only that will make a difference, or at least that we think will make a difference to our life, but that we're actually going to do something about. Because it's so easy to just consume content for the sake of consuming content, and you know we could have stopped twenty books ago and and just focused on doing the the ten things in that one book that we read, and our life would be a totally different thing. And yet we can we continue to consume all this content, business books, self help books, etc., and we're not actually applying the information there. So this is a great reminder to focus. But then I love too the idea of forcing yourself to be creative. And and I can absolutely empathize with this because I've I have also found that especially in this age where we have such easy access to so much information and so much entertainment that I become much more a consumer rather than a creator. And I have to, I actually take some inspiration from my son because he is methodical. He's only 15 years old, but he's methodical in both his writing and his his artwork, his drawing, which he's spent a lot of time on in the last six, eight months or so. And he very purposefully sets time aside to create and even gets frustrated when he isn't consistent with that process. So I, I think this is a good reminder for our, our listeners as well, and, and a great example by you. And, and would you say that you are, when you, when you talk about being more creative, is that in creating additional ideas for your business? Is that being and creating as a photographer? Where do you see the biggest benefit when it comes to creation when you consume less content? I would say it it is it enables me to zoom in on what is my focus. So it could it could be photography, it could be business, it could be even like my, my personal life and just finding the things that are working for me. I am not a huge, people always ask, oh, did you see so-and-so's work? Or I love this, you know, this big name photographer. And most of the time I'm in the corner, but like, huh, who is this person? And I, and I don't do it to be isolated, but I try to find inspiration from things that aren't obvious. So I don't follow wedding blogs. I, I almost never am on a wedding blog unless I'm researching something specific. Interesting. Okay. Because... I find more inspiration from cinema and directors and, and arts like that. When I, I used to be in theater um, and I took a playwriting class and I, I wrote several pieces that were inspired by music where I would try to like, when I hear this song, what's the story in my head? Um, and just sort of been being across different types of media and different types of arts to find my creative source. And with business, it's the same way. I find business thought in everyday life. So sometimes the moral of a story is something that I learned from the way my dogs were interacting. Um, and it's not necessarily something that every other person is going to say like, oh, my, my dog shredded my couch. I had to buy a new couch. And, and I took a business lesson from that. And and no one else might have thought that, but that's very gracious of you. <laughs> I don't want to listen. You know, I hated the couch. I wanted a new couch. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm not necessarily looking to business for business responses. I'm not yeah. looking to creatives to make my creative business like theirs. I might be looking at finance or lawyers or, you know, someone else outside of the field. I'm looking to learn from things that aren't obvious relations. Yep. 
I, I think that's really great. I remember taking inspiration as a newer photographer, learning about lighting. The most significant inspiration that I that I gathered was from movies and looking at and watching mm-hmm. um, movies and seeing. As soon as I became, became aware of this idea of of backlight or rim light, which is a you know a technique that's used all the time to create mm-hmm. separation. Uh, and depth and and um, dr- you know drama ultimately in a movie. I, I started to notice it all the time, and then I was able to take those principles and apply it to my photography. And um, so I, I think that's great. I think it, it speaks to your to the level of your creativity and your open mindedness and your desire to, to to grow as an individual. That you're taking inspiration from things that that go outside the the photography industry and the wedding industry. And I, I think that's a great example for all of us. Now finding you know a little bit of free time to to consume this. Type Type of content can be a little bit uh, difficult, especially if it's going to be focused, um, time-consuming content. How do you create free time for yourself? Whether it's for that, or you know, listening to an opera, or or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. How do you create that free time for yourself? So I talked about time tracking before, so I'm not really going to dig into that. But time tracking, listen to the first podcast. I swear by it. Knowing where your time goes is the the first step in the battle. Um, I think that. Knowing that you cannot be everything to everyone and accepting that fact is a big personal barrier that a lot of people have letting and that means letting go yes. um, and embracing rest. So by segmenting you know, personal time and work time more carefully, you actually will have more focus in both and you'll be able to embrace the focus on the things going on in your, your own life. You're able to you know, appreciate the rest and how you can enjoy that to recharge yourself. Rest doesn't mean like taking a nap, although some days it does. It just means what is it that will kind of refresh your mind, refresh your body, and allow you to refocus when you come back to the task at hand. In my perspective, that's my kind of definition of resting. Yeah, that, and I find personally that, um, I mean, as much as I love an afternoon nap, especially like, I don't know what it is about Sunday afternoons, but like Sunday afternoons, especially if it's cloudy or rainy outside, there's just this inclination to to just cuddle up on, on the bed or even on the couch and just let go and fall asleep. I think that's great, but um, it really can look differently for different people. It, it is it is about creating the space for it. For me, it's going out and, and, and doing an intense ride on the motorcycle, whereas for somebody else, it might be you know sitting and watching Netflix. It, it looks different for everybody, but the key is creating that time. So that, that's, that's really, really great. And I think that this is something that is, I am, I'm very much a bit of a hermit by nature. Um, I avoid using the word introvert because I don't think that my personality fits what people think of when they hear things like introvert, extrovert. Sure. Um, but I have kind of put systems in place for lack of a better word for being a conscientious friend and prioritizing people in my life, um, while doing things that matter to me. So I, I have purchased a season to the musical theater tours that come through Philadelphia. And so I have that out on my calendar and scheduled in on my year, in a, you know, a year in advance, and those days are set aside. And then I invite people that I want to see that I don't see often enough in my life to have a nice meal and go to the theater with me. That's and so because cool. it's built into my schedule, yeah. um, I prioritize that. I plan things around it. I say no to other things that come up. And and as, as ridiculous as it sounds, like I don't always think that I am the most emotionally connected person in my friendships sometimes because I have so many things going on in my head. So by forcing myself to stop and prioritize and plan in friendship time, I've become a more conscientious friend. I'm better at remembering birthdays or taking that time to send someone a little text that says, I'm thinking of you. I'm still far from perfect, but I'm trying very actively to make my connections purposeful 
and meaningful to the people around me um, so that they find value in our friendship. And I can also take solace in that. Oh, I want to be your friend. <laughs> that, I mean, in all seriousness, that that is it, it's interesting. Um, we're very much on the same wavelength on, on multiple levels. But when it comes to this topic of making time for relationships, I mean, this is certainly a theme on the Boca podcast. And again, something that I spoke about at a conference recently. But I, I'm also just thinking about how this has looked in my personal life. And I'm really, truly amazed um, at, at the people, family or friends um, in my life that that don't proactively make time um, to show that I matter. Uh, and, and this isn't just about me. I mean, I see this uh, elsewhere and other people, uh, other people's lives as well. Um, but it, it's amazing how, la- I guess, just ultimately how um, little importance people put on making time. And, and it, it doesn't take much of an effort. It's opening that calendar and hitting the little plus icon and putting somebody's name in there and coffee next to it or dinner next to it. Uh, it doesn't take that much to commit to something like that, but it'll make somebody's day. Even just picking up the phone and actually calling somebody on their birthday versus sending that really lazy text message. It, it's those kinds of things when we're prioritizing relationships, because at the end of the day, that's what we've got. Um, that it, it really makes a significant difference to that person that you're actually making the effort with. And, and of course, the benefit is, is um, not just theirs, but ours as well. And I'd love that you prioritize that. And I, I love the example of picking a particular activity, especially when you have a season, whether it's sports or in the opera or otherwise, where you can actually go and, and, and plan on particular dates ahead of time and then invite somebody to that. I think that's really, really cool. Um, so kudos to you for for setting an example for myself and our listeners as well. I mean, you, you, you're kind of the, uh, the the epitome of example setting so far in our conversation today. This has been I've, I've got to shut you down on that. And I, I am so far from perfect um, when it comes to that. And I am just really lucky that I have friends who are incredibly gracious because it's not like I said, it doesn't come naturally to me to think that way. And I have to actively sort of like move my brain towards being a better connector Um, because I have friends who have been so gracious when I've just disappeared off the map because I was in workaholic mode. Um, and I wasn't really balancing my time for the longest, for the longest while. Sure. And I think that because we live in such, we work in as creatives, as a wedding industry person, I work in such a people filled field. Um, I find that I was networking so much and meeting so many professionals for lunch and people who I care. And I, I want to get to know deeper that I found myself drained and unable to then invest that energy into the people who have been in my life for years interesting, um, and who were true friends. So I've had to, I, I for the longest time, I wasn't networking enough because I was working too much between my full time and my business. And then when I quit, I, I was like, I'm a networking machine. I can be with everyone and go to every event. And I wound up draining myself there too. So people balance for me has been not just about, you know, work versus life. It's been about how much of myself am I putting into other creatives that, you know, are new friendships and I do want to build those relationships, but how much is that taking away from the people who I've known since, you know, college a decade ago and really making sure that it's a healthy recipe for me and not draining because that would make me less, less interested in going out to see, you know, my friend on her birthday or something like that because I was just too exhausted from, going to lunch with a different person every day of the week for business. Yeah, we're, we're not going to, I mean, there are certain emotional benefits, I guess, that, that we, we can get uh, at different levels 
from business. But at the end of the day, what is truly not only emotionally, but physically even healthy for us as human beings is to connect with others. And if we're not prioritizing that, you're, we're, we're missing out. I, I shared, I've shared my personal experience uh, as a child growing up with, with a dad who, who was very, very busy, um, very focused, very disciplined. And so, you know, I, I learned to appreciate certainly the, the opportunities that I got for focused quality time with him. And that's translated to sensitivity with my kids to give them the focused quality time to make sure that they feel prioritized over work. But if we can't, you know, if, if our answer constantly to our friends or family or otherwise is I'm busy, I think we have to be a little bit more sensitive to what that actually says to them, how little importance that actually communicates to that person who's supposed to be one of our best friends or who is a family member. And yet we're treating them like an acquaintance. If that, um, I just, at the end of the day, again, relationships are where it's at and, and it's certainly where we're going to receive the most benefit all around as an individual where we're going to be able to grow. It's, it's just, if we're not investing in relationships, we're missing out. So this is, I, I hear you, none of us have it all figured out, but this is a really <laughs> wonderful example. And I, and I love the system, um, that you've got in place for it, which is really a great segue ultimately to, to what I'd like to kind of focus on business wise today, which is systems and ultimately how to build a workflow for your photography business, because things have changed even more since we chatted last. You've got a business running on two different sides of the country, right? So the business is actually running on one one side of the country, and I'm running on both sides of the country. So for now, and I don't know where I'll be running from in another couple months when, when we settle down more permanently. Um, and at that point in time, I plan on probably opening up a second branch, if you will. Um, but yeah, my business is in Philadelphia. I'm in Seattle. Most of the time I'm outside of Philadelphia, but I'd say about 25% of the time now I'm traveling uh, back and forth to be able to spend time with my husband. So what does that look like on a kind of a day-to-day basis? How much of the time do you actually spend in Philadelphia versus Seattle? And then maybe you can kind of transition then into what has changed since we last chatted and and, um, what that's going to look like for your business moving forward. Sure. Last year when we talked, I was coming out about every six to eight weeks for a long weekend. This year, his schedule is slightly less demanding as he gets closer to the real world outside of residency. Um, And I've been able to schedule myself to have at least one weekend off every month. So I am out here for about one week a month. And now that we're in the holiday season and interview season, I'm actually going to be home and planted in Philadelphia for about two and a half weeks between now and the end of the year. So the balance is shifting, changing quite a bit to me being gone more than present in Philadelphia. I don't know what that will look like long term, but I imagine it'll be probably about 50-50. So how has that then affected your your day-to-day workflow? Because ultimately what, what I want to talk about is is the systems that you have created that enable you to, to have this kind of remote lifestyle, the constant travel, not always being at your home office or home studio all the time. What, what are the systems that you have developed, particularly this year, that enable you to, to live that lifestyle and to run a business effectively? Sure. So systems for me have helped to develop my own freedom, but also my own trust that things are happening. Um, so for me, systems... Ooh, I, I actually, I like that. Will you say that again? Yeah. Systems to me are, are freedom and trust. Um, by building systems into my business... It has enabled me to have the freedom to work more remotely. 90% of what I do is not something that's tied down to a specific location. Unless I'm shooting, I don't have to be in front of my client. I like meeting people face-to-face, but that's what Skype or FaceTime um, are for when I'm traveling. 
I, you know, I love being able to work out of my office, but I can work out of a coffee shop or a restaurant or the condo here in Seattle just as easily. So systems and knowing what needs to be done and when have allowed me freedom, but it's also allowed me trust. Well, and, and that word trust, I, I, the reason that sticks out to me is because I, I, of course, talk to a lot of photographers. And one of the things that I hear pretty consistently is, is this idea of, uh, well, ultimately a desire for control. Right, especially when it comes to, of course, outsourcing editing, it's uh, I, ca- I can't give that up. I'm a control freak. But this isn't just applicable to the editing side of running a photography business. Photographers like to maintain control. It's a personal brand, and I totally get it. Um, but if you've got a system in place that enables you to kind of relax a little bit and be hands off because you know how it works and you know it's going to take care of business, that that would be a massive, massive relief for I think a lot of our listeners. That's really, really powerful. Yeah. I mean, trust, trust means a lot of things. And when I say system, I'm not always being as literal as a workflow. Sure. Um, it's just sort of like policies or, you know, or training even as a part of a system. So for me this year, I, we've stepped back. We actually shot about 20% less, um, that this year than we did last year, um, while raising our rates and growing our team. So doing all that together has, has kind of allowed me to have a little less time in the weeds to evaluate what's going on. So I was able to kind of see what I was doing, see what others were doing, have really open communication, be willing to have hard conversations um, and create a, a, a open community sort of feel around feedback and performance so that my team is invested. So trust and invest in the people who will trust and invest in you. It's, it's kind of like the most important thing for me as I grow. And that's applicable really for uh, whether it's a studio that has employees, team members, admins, photographers, or otherwise, um, or a photographer who's a sole proprietor, but is learning to work with other companies outside their business to help carry out the services that they offer. That's that's a really important principle. Yeah, I think, and I think it applies in life just as much as in business. But it's true. I think that if you're at the point where you're, you're starting to grow a team or you're working with a lot of a lot of people in collaboration on and growing you you can't run your business with your heart instead of your mind um, I'm a big numbers person I want the data I want to know what's going on but you cannot run a team with your mind instead of your heart you need to work with people in a mind heart balance you need to care about them and invest in them if you expect the same in return and so that's been a really important thing is like looking at what what my team is doing for me, what they what they have invested and given to my brand is is unbelievable. When I step back and think about the people who have sort of bought in on Ashley Garrity Photography, I'm incredibly humbled and I feel a deep responsibility for them and their welfare. And that's been, I think, the the feeling that has given me the chance to to grow the most is yes, I'm still looking at the data. I'm managing the business from a numbers perspective. But I always want to make sure that I'm doing what's best for the people around me. Because when I am not in Philadelphia, they are still taking care of me. They're taking care of my clients the same way I would. And that's because we have this, this open relationship and this, this willingness to give for each other. Well, and, and this is a good lesson for all of our photographers, edit listeners out there. Uh, you should definitely take this principle and apply it to your editing company. Show show lots of appreciation for us. Make sure you send us lots of cookies and coffee and <laughs> all kinds of treats. No, uh, but in all seriousness, it's it, 
there's a certain level of, uh, well, just very simply gratitude that I can hear even in your voice and the passion that you're communicating about your employees. And I think there's your heart, right? That level of appreciation for the people that have, as you said, invested in your brand is going to translate at a significant level to the way that you interact with your team members. And then you mentioned the importance of communication. And this has actually been a theme now for the second podcast in a row. I was talking with Amy and Tavis uh, Guile. They were talking about how they manage their team of photographers and the importance of putting systems in place and communicating those systems clearly. And, And when you're talking about creating expectations for your team, as long as you have the system in place, you've taken the time to communicate it clearly, um, then you can also maintain a, a heart-focused relationship with them because the expectations have already been set. Um, you don't need to, to d- deal with those details up all the time. You can focus on on the relationship and making sure that they feel taken care of. So I think that's a wonderful balance, that the heart and the business, you can have both. I always say business and freedom aren't mutually exclusive. Certainly relationships and business aren't uh, mutually exclusive. You can have both and you can have them on, on a really great level. Talk to us a little bit about the kind of practical systems, the day-to-day, some of the systems that you've implemented um, that enable you to have this kind of um I guess you could say a remote lifestyle as a business owner. Sure. So for the longest time, I had just a big Google sheet that kind of listed out the steps of what I do um, day to day. And that was that was sort of like my emergency plan. If something would happen to me, Rachel knew where it was and she'd be able to step in and just finish out the clients. But it wasn't necessarily an actively used you know, procedural day to day workflow. And in preparing for the transition, I actually brought in outside eyes to sit down with me and implement things into um, both HoneyBook, which is where we do our contracting and our workflow and things, and then Asana, which is where we're doing a lot of our big picture planning and communicating across the team. So I still use Google Drive as far as where I have things randomly hosted, if we have documents we need to share between us. But every client goes through a massive like 100 plus step workflow um, in HoneyBook. And that's just, that's down to the simplest things including, you know, send send this gift or charge the camera batteries before shooting for them so that we know that every every person is having an incredibly consistent experience, which means that they're having an excellent experience because they know what to expect and it's being clearly communicated to them. And anyone on the team can look at that and see exactly where every client is in the process. So those are kind of the three things that kind of host my business and keep us all functioning on a day-to-day. HoneyBook, Asana, and Google Drive. The difference between Asana and, and HoneyBook, are you are you able to do some task management in, in HoneyBook and Asana just kind of takes that to the next level? And I know Asana is a project manager ultimately, and you can break that down into tasks, but how do they, they differ for those who aren't familiar with those products? Sure. So HoneyBook has a, an actual workflow that is attached to a client. Um, that we've set up with, uh, I actually, you know, Laura, Laura Neff from Laura Lee Creative came in and helped me to input the things because I have a very analytical mind, but I can't necessarily always think linear. Um, and workflow is something that you have to step A leads to step B leads to step C. And so she helped me really implement that. Um, and because that's in HoneyBook, emails can be automatically sent, agreements are automatically sent. So that deals with the actual step-by-step procedural of getting a client from inquiry to happy anniversary. And then in Asana, it's more more of that big picture idea. So we have okay. goals that are set up in Asana and like the steps in Asana that we need to. And you can link in content as far as what's related to a specific project. And that's more 
business-wide planning as opposed to client-based planning. Okay, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Thanks for, for creating that differentiation. And we'll actually link to those both those resources in the show notes as well. But please continue. I know you've got other systems in place. Sure. Um, so my favorite is actually something I learned at a conference a couple of years ago, and I call it Champagne Fridays. I don't. I, that was what it was called, and we've adopted Champagne Fridays. Um, and what it basically means is r- reflecting and adjusting on a regular basis. And I don't. I don't sit and drink champagne every single Friday, <laughs> but. Um, this was taught by the editor of San Francisco Bride at a conference. And basically she had reached a crossroads in her business and they were talking about closing down the magazine. And and it was just like a really tough time. And she shut down the computer, walked out of the office halfway through the day, ordered herself a bottle of champagne and sat with a journal and a pen and reflected on what she could change, what she could adjust. And she was able to come back in with fresh eyes on Monday and, and save everything. And changes had to be made, but it started a trend and this is what we've kind of adopted, which is at the end of every week, you know, turn off the electronics, pull out a piece of paper and a pen and really just think like, what are we doing? That is great. What are we doing? That's not great. What can we do better next week? What balls can we juggle better? And just disconnecting from everything else. And if you have celebrations, you can have a a glass. If you, (laughs) if you're coping, you can have a bottle, whatever it is that makes you happy. Champagne Fridays is just a catchy name, but I do usually, you know, sit, relax with a cocktail and kind of reflect on where we're going and what we need to get there in a in a prettier way. You know, I'm I'm actually seeing a, a whole business opportunity for you here. You could actually do one of those box subscriptions where you you send out a journal and bottles of champagne to photographers <laughs> to encourage this this habit. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of... I think I think it's it's great because it's you know, it forces you to build routine into checking in on what's working and yep. what's not. It's so true. Um, but it also f- forces you to build in celebration. So the celebration might be like, I, I both played fetch in the backyard with my dog and sent off gallery today. So that's a celebration or the celebration could be, you know, we have a new merger coming up in 2018 and I'm really celebrating. So people are always talking about defining their own success. And I think that's really important, but not just defining success, but celebrating the little pieces that get you there. Oh, that's good. I love that. And and I bet this also makes it easier at the end of the year when it comes to the so-called New Year's resolutions. If you're planning on an, if you're reflecting and making adjustments consistently along the way, you can do this for business and your personal life. Mm-hmm. I bet, I bet it makes this whole concept of New Year's resolutions almost unnecessary. Yeah. I never make a resolution. I definitely do my business planning. Like I am I go on a retreat. Usually I like to take the team with me, but this year um, it's not going to work out because of my travel schedule. So I'm personally leaving for three days and just going someplace where my, my, I mean, my clients can't physically reach me. My yeah. team can't physically reach me. And I'm, I'm disconnecting and basically champagne Fridaying for three days. That's really um, cool to reflect on the year and get ready for, for the next. That's perfect. That's perfect. All right. Walk, walk us through some of your other systems as well. Sure. So those are the the big systems that we have in place, but then we have pieces. um, And again, most of these are things that are somewhat remote friendly for me because I'm constantly on the go, but built into our, our system is now we, we work with photographers edit. I've been a a huge proponent of photographers edit since my, you know, first full year in business in 2013, I've been working with you guys and now that I've, for the first time this year, ever let go of the calling process for our weddings, we've now been able to build out a workflow for post-wedding for our associate gigs that don't require me to hit the raw files at all. 
oh, that's until great. after they're back from photographer's edit. So my studio manager now knows how to upload the cal- you know, the whole catalog into photographer's edit. It gets called, it gets sent back. And by the time that catalog is back, if I haven't returned, I've been given raw files digitally somehow through either Dropbox or if I know I'm going to be in one place for a long time, the sending of a hard drive. So um, that's enabled me to work even less on those weddings from like an hour's commitment, um, but also allowed my team to kind of have a system in place for making sure that those clients are still getting that killer turnaround that my clients are used to, even if I'm not there. Um, And then we do a lot of delivery through Pixie Set as far as the things that are going on. So again, Rachel or Anne can be delivering galleries to clients while I'm not there. And that makes things awesome. We do in-person sales, but Rachel has been trained on that system. So we use Fundy for that. And so she can do sales sessions when I'm gone. So I really have worked on training the team um, and systemizing kind of our steps and educating that so that my business is is working when I am here talking to you or when I head out to a coffee shop for lunch today, something might be going on in the studio that's bringing in income. Well, and, and, and this, is a, this is the idea of a scalable business, which is also something that I chatted with Tavis and Amy about, but it's the idea of creating systems and a workflow ultimately that enable you to um, to, to continue to run a business, a successful business, even one that is growing without having to have your hands in it all the time. And you wouldn't be able to, to live the kind of remote, uh, very travel heavy lifestyle that you do without putting these systems in place, without thinking similarly to the, the book, The E-Myth Revisited, um, the principles in that book that, that enable you to create a scalable business that don't require you to be involved all the time. I, I think there's a, a certain amount of you know, as we run photography businesses and sole proprietors, and I certainly have experience um, in that realm as a photographer, um, it's easy to let our ego get so tied up in the brand that the idea of kind of giving up control of that is just extremely disconcerting. And I totally understand that. But I, th- I still think that, that um, and have not only think, but have seen that, that one of the biggest benefits of being a photography business owner is potentially the, f- the freedom and the flexibility that you can have. You're not going to be able to have that freedom and flexibility and, and work you know, very few hours in a week if you want to, if you want to go on a trip or go do this thing or that. You're not going to have that kind of freedom and flexibility if you're not willing to take the time. It takes a little bit of a time investment up front, but to put the systems in place like you're describing, Ashley. And and again, this is a really great example for our listeners. What we'll do is make sure to, to link to um, all of these resources that you mentioned in the show notes to go along with this podcast. You mentioned Laura earlier, and Laura has some some resources for photographers. She was on the podcast, I think, uh, episode 40, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. but she has some resources for photographers tied to workflow as well. And, uh, so we'll make sure to link to that. And then I know you've got a podcast coming out soon, right? I do. And that's actually one of those things that if I were really in my business every day and like hadn't been able to let go of the reins, I wouldn't be able to kind of explore these other things on the, on the periphery that are, are really fun and fulfilling for me. So by systemizing the business a bit and and passing off the reins on some of these tasks that I used to insist on controlling everything about, it's it's opened me up to exploring pieces of myself and pieces of my skill set that I've I've been neglecting, if I'm being honest. So one thing about running a multi-photographer studio is that the Ashley Gary Photography brand isn't a, isn't necessarily my personal brand. 
it is clean. It's fairly modern. It's minimalist. It's designed to appeal to our clients, which are generally somewhat high-powered, late 20s, early 30s professionals, very clean. And and if I'm being honest, I'm a little more rough around the edges as a person than my brand is. And so I've been <laughs> able to dig into sort of that just rock star enough, not quite with fitting the mold person that I am and build up the Ashley Garrity brand. And we're in the we're in the process of finalizing a rebrand and a new website and everything that goes with that. And along with that, I'm launching the Almost Naked podcast. So uh, people might hear that and think like, oh my God, she's going off the deep end. Um, <laughs> but it's really about like everyone has ugly pieces to them. And I don't mean physically, I mean sort of like that what's what's going on seething under the surface. And we've all been through hurt and we've all been through struggles. Yeah. And we work through them and people are so resilient. And I really love that sort of authentic, raw honesty, honesty that sometimes are, is missing in the day to day of what you see on Instagram scrolling, scrolling through and seeing all the creatives out there. So Almost Naked is about just, just being willing to bear all, being willing to ask that borderline inappropriate question and being open to the answers that come to you when you do talk to people. Oh, I love and, it. And so that's kind of kind of my next step what I'm doing and and where I'm using this free time to kind of explore relationships with people and see how the rest of the world are running their business. Oh, that's really cool. Do you have a, like a potential launch date for it? It's coming out in December. It, it really all depends on how quickly we get the, the website finalized. I sure. have a few episodes recorded and we'll probably soft launch them before the website launches. So I'll, I'll, I'll call it December 1st. I, I do this for you every time. I'll call it December <laughs> 1st uh, deadline for the soft launch and before Christmas is here, you'll you'll be hearing more from AshleyGarrity.com and oh, the Almost Naked podcast. That's cool. Well, and that, that's a perfect segue. I was going to ask you to, to share with our listeners where they can find you online. So AshleyGarrity.com. And, yeah. and then how about uh, social media as well? So if you're looking to follow the photography brand, we're AshleyGarrityPhotography.com. And we're on Instagram, Facebook, all that at AshleyGarrityPhotography. And if you're looking for my podcast and, and more of like the one-on-one and me and my personal brand, it is ashleygarrity.com and ashley.garrity on Instagram. Unfortunately, there's there's another Ashley Garrity out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not the only one. This is, uh, you're certainly the only one like you, Ashley. And, and really, <laughs> this has been, this has been a, a wonderful opportunity just to, to get a chance to chat with a friend. I appreciate you making time to share with our listeners. So many wonderful examples for our listeners and for myself and uh, I really appreciate you making time for the Boca podcast. Oh, it's a genuine pleasure, Nathan. Anytime, I'm, I'm always happy to chat with you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>